This is Men of Christ Radio on WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio. Powerful and inspiring conversations with Catholic speakers and leaders about your family, your parish, your nation, your world, and what you, as a man of Christ, can do about it. Like the man says, it's Men of Christ Radio. Hello, everyone. My name is Brian Farley, and I'm your uh, humble host, your privileged host, and very happy to be here this uh, week, this month, for Men of Christ Radio. Um, As many of you know, our 2018 Men of Christ Conference is going to be happening March 10th. 2018 at what is now called the Miller High Life Theater. It used to be the Milwaukee Theater. Now it's the Miller High Life Theater. Gives it a little more fun, I guess. So um, anyway, uh, there at that conference, we're going to have uh, some heavy hitters. Uh, Mr. Tim Staples, who, by the way, is having health issues. So please do pray for him. He's, he's okay, but he's just uh, in need of prayers. So please pray for him. Uh, Father Robert Spitzer, um, who's also having some health issues. So please pray for him as well. But a fantastic speaker. Mr. Mr. Dave Durand, a local speaker on the integration of faith and work. I don't believe Dave's having any health issues, but pray for him anyway. And then finally, uh, one of our speakers at the conference is also our guest today on Men of Christ Radio, uh, Father Cliff Ermodinger who uh, is going to uh, join us today, and we're going to be talking about uh, hell, Satan, demons, all kinds of happy stuff, but uh, necessary stuff, very important stuff. So uh, please do stick around for that. Um, What I like to do here on Men of Christ Radio is always start with a prayer. Seems to me the the right way to do it, uh, particularly with this conversation we're going to have. So uh, please join me, if you will, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Mary, my Queen, my Mother, I give myself entirely to you, and to show my devotion devotion to you, I consecrate to you this day, my eyes, my ears, my mouth, my heart, my whole being without reserve. Wherefore, good mother, as I am thine own, keep me and guard me as thy property and possession. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Well, now, as I've mentioned before on this show, my favorite book probably is The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. Probably has a lot to do with what's kept me in the faith and now is uh, escalating my faith rapidly. But uh, there's a quote from that uh, book that I think is very relevant to what we want to talk about today. Um, I'll read it for you quickly. This is uh, Uncle Screwtape, who is a senior demon, talking to uh, his uh, idiot nephew demon um, about how to tempt men into hell. And he says to him, I do not think you'll have much difficulty in keeping your patient in the dark. The fact that devils are predominantly comic figures in the modern imagination will help you. If any faint suspicion of your existence begins to arise in his mind, suggest to him a picture of something in red tights and persuade him that since he cannot believe in that, he therefore cannot believe in you. That's, again, from the Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. A brilliant observation of the modern assessment of things like um, uh, hell, Satan, demons. Um, And our our guest, Father Cliff, uh, has worked uh, in this area for a long time. He's a spiritual director, a retreat master, a lecturer on spirituality in countries all around the world. He's written many, many books. Uh, His most recent book, uh, The Devil's Role in the Spiritual Life, St. John of the Cross's teaching on Satan's involvement in every stage of spiritual growth. He also plays bagpipes and uh, rugby and is, I believe, a Three Stooges fan, which I think we're going to make a requirement for all of our guests on uh, Men of Christ Radio going forward. But uh, with that, uh, Father Cliff, hello, and thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Brian. Oh, I don't have any health issues, but I plan on it, so everybody please pray for me. <laughs> all right. Very good. Yeah. See to it that they're not After so severe. After 50, you just kind of expect it, you know. <laughs> That's right. Life is a health issue after 50, I know. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll certainly pray for you as yeah, well. We, we could enter into the organ recital right now, I guess, of what they really are. <laughs> Anything's possible. But, all right, well, yeah, we'll certainly uh, pray for you and, uh, and for everybody. We, we all hope to, hope, to make it, hope to make it to March. So, uh, Father Cliff, with that, that the, the excerpt from the Screwtape Letters, I think um, that... Uh, pretty well expresses uh, what I think is the, the modern um, mind uh, on the, the understanding of hell, Satan, or demons. doesn't seem to be a lot of people who believe in the reality of these things anymore. So, you know, starting at the very basics, is hell, Satan, the demons, is, is this all real, or is it some medieval uh, myth that we're told to believe? It's all very real, and 
in the best of um, cases for the evil one, he wants us to dismiss it, um, to not even think about it. He doesn't want us to think about him. He works subtly. He doesn't want us to think about hell. He certainly doesn't want us to think about heaven unless we're going to say that everybody goes there. And then once he's unmasked, once he his presence then is admitted, then he goes to the other extreme, from camouflage to a caricature. And he then wants to scare people. Whereas if our eyes are focused on Christ, if our heart is rooted in Christ because we're living a life of grace, we go to confession frequently, go to Mass and receive communion with lots of devotion, we have a deep prayer life, if we're living a life of virtue, well, we recognize that he's at work and you know, this is one of the one of the secrets of the spiritual life. The closer we get to Christ, the more attuned we are to how the evil one works, and the more clearly we see how distant we are from our goal of conformity with Christ, and how much the evil one works in us. And and so, you know, that was a that was really a fortuitous quote you began with, I think, because he, he C.S. Lewis is presenting there precisely that the caricature that doesn't really say anything to us. It just kind of makes us do as he wants us to do it was just dismiss it but you know his work is not um as his most frequent work is not as over the top as hollywood would present it most of his work is interior working on our uh, trying to unseat our faith working on those areas of the capital sins i think you know you 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 go to look at the movies and even you go on drudge report or something like that and there are so many references to possession and exorcism and all of that is real and uh and on the rise for sure people can have an unhealthy curiosity for all of that stuff um at the cost of thinking about their own spiritual state so that, that's the real that's 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 the danger of this morbid curiosity once we've admitted his 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 existence then 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 we have the danger of a morbid curiosity of just being having an unhealthy fascination for the extraordinary but the real battle is in the ordinary and the ordinary work of the devil is temptation. His goal is not to possess. It's not to infest a building. It's not to oppress a body. It's not to obsess a mind. He does all of that. His, but, but those are just perks for him. His, what is his goal? His goal is for, for us to be damned, to go to hell where he is, because misery loves company. And so his goal is that we fall into the temptations that he presents to us, because that's what will separate us from God, and that's what will earn us hell. And, and that would be even for small temptations. You know, I think the modern mind is pretty much like, well, I'm not Hitler, so I'm not going to go to hell. <laughs> but uh, I, not I, a very I, high standard know, there. I, I would, when I was living in Italy, it was funny because, you know, Italy is, um, up until recently, was, you know, quite a Catholic country. And, uh, but you, you go into the, into mass and, um, you know, it seems to be mostly women. <laughs> and yeah. when I'd be in a taxi or I'd walk, just walking down the street, I'd be accosted by these guys who would feel some need to explain to me why they don't have to go to mass. I, was, I don't even know you. I didn't ask you, but you know, you're telling me. Obviously, <laughs> your conscience is a little ruffled here. I don't, I don't go to mass because I'm, I don't, I don't need to because I'm not an axe murderer. I go, well, it's not like this is an elite club of non-axe murderers. You know, we are, we, we need the means of salvation, and they're there for us to accept or reject. And there are consequences for both of those. Our Lord doesn't oblige our will. He proposes his plan of salvation. We're free to take it. We're free to reject it. We're also free to be saints or free to be mediocre or mediocre sinners or mediocre in our life of grace or terrible sinners or great saints. All of those things are a result of our choices. The closer we get to our Lord, the more clearly we see there really aren't small sins. Well, of course, we have to make the distinction between mortal and venial. Right mortal, which ruptures our relationship with our Lord, and one of those mortal sins will earn unforgiven, will, will, will earn us heaven, I'm sorry, will earn us hell, and keep us out of heaven, but a venial sin will keep us also, will also keep us out of heaven and earn us purgatory. Tomorrow we celebrate the Feast of the Saints, of, of all souls, and yeah. so what's... 
why are they there? Because they're horrible sinners? No. They deeply love our Lord. They're happier than we are, but they're suffering. Terrible distress in purgatory. The purification of venial sins and also the residue of forgiven mortal sins. Why? What is that residue? It's not something physical. It's a disorientation of our will. When I've made a sinful choice, I've done damage to myself. I have, I've, I've brought upon myself a deformity. Think of it, you know, like pounding a nail into a beautiful wooden floor. You know, we could say that's the sin. Confession then takes the nail out of the floor, but the floor is still damaged. And that's what happens to us. Our will is still damaged. Our affections are disoriented. And that's why we have either purgatory after this life or the opportunity to make reparation in this life. In this life, it's meritorious. There's no, once we die, once there's a divorce of body and soul, there's no possibility for changing our destiny, and there's also no possibility for meriting. We can never merit anything after we've died. So all of our opportunities for merit are, are, are limited by the space and time of our life here. And that's where reparation for sin enters. And recently, a woman told me, you know, I go to confession frequently, but I'm always, I always feel that there's something missing. I'm lacking something. I said, exactly, you are. So am I. Because after confession, that's not enough. After confession, I have to make reparation for my sins. I've brought disorder into my soul. I've brought disorder into my affections, into my mind. I've also brought disorder into the mystical body of Christ. And out of a, <clears throat> a duty of justice to the mystical body of Christ, I have to make reparation for that. And so this is, this is where the real battle is. Not in all the extraordinary. The extraordinary stuff exists, and it's real, and things, you know, those are things that are confronted every day by priests in the church. But the real battle is going to be in the area of temptation and choice for for virtue, heroic virtue. And that's that's a uh, fascinating point. Uh, I've started this and underlined it. The real battle is in the ordinary. Um, yeah. Because I think, yes, yeah, so many of us, myself included, don't really think about it that way. But that's um, where there is just constant little, little struggles, sometimes not so little, Um and overcoming that now with you said with confession making reparations for my sin specifically i mean i mean how, how do you do that i mean you have to do your penance your you, you say your prayers usually the penance these days are you know maybe a hail mary and that's it so yeah I'm get, pretty I'm guess, symbolic. <laughs> yeah so i'm guessing that's not sufficient but it is it like directly dealing with whatever harm you might have caused is that what you mean of course, or? Of course. well well i mean there are some things that are <laughs> The forgiveness is dependent on it. If I've stolen something, yeah, I can confess it. But if I don't return it, there is no forgiveness. If I don't make restitution, there is no that that that, that then that confession is invalid. I've got to make restitution to the person or the store that I stole from, and if that's impossible, then I have to take a, a like value and give that to uh, a charity. So that, that's, that's to make that sacrament valid. There, that's, that's, that's the other side of the coin. On the other hand, for other sins that for other sins in which I am, I leave confession forgiven, I still need to make reparation. And this reparation is in the order of justice. Okay, and we can do that by um, it, it, well, the council. First of all, I just preface this by saying that the Council of Trent tells us very clearly that after confession, just leading a good life isn't enough. After confession, we have to make particular acts of reparation. And that's left up to us. We're adults. It's not all stipulated. And, you know, this is not some legal contract, so to say. And we've got to do our part of the bargain. It's a relationship. And a relationship has been ruptured or damaged by sin. Once it's restored through the sacraments, well, I have to grow in that relationship. And so our reparation is going to be, above all, in the order of virtue, of spending time with our beloved in prayer, in adoration, offering up rosaries, offering up our prayers, offering up our sacrifices, but intentionally, intentionally. And we have to seek out penance, not only corporal penance, but also interior penance, fasting, cold showers, all of these things 
will have a value which will, to a certain extent, be determined by the degree of love and contrition with which we do them. So materially, one act can be done by several people, but it's going to have a different value according to the degree of, of love and contrition with which one offers it up. This is uh, yeah, <laughs> along the lines of, of all of it you've already said. Um, I, I have to ask, we don't... Uh, we Catholics don't hear this very often. Certainly, I don't uh, in in our churches and everything else. I mean, this this is like key fundamental uh, faith. Why don't we hear this in, in church anymore? I'm speaking <laughs> out of frustration. Frustration. Pretty here. basic stuff. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. Well, your your frustration is shared. I I uh, had to give a a retreat to um, a group of priests, and some of the questions, the doctrinal questions they had, were so basic. Yeah. For example, the difference between actual grace and habitual grace. Um, you know, these are things that kids <laughs> kids had to know before their first communion. Right. <laughs> right. And it was all there in the Baltimore Catechism. Uh, it was very basic, clear stuff. So there's been this implosion of doctrinal clarity over the last 60 years. And... <laughs> I think um, the seminaries now are getting a lot better, but there there were some really dark decades yeah. there for um, priestly formation, and so I think you know priests, priests simply weren't taught these things. No. Or if they were, they were taught them in a, in a dismissive way. You know, well, this is what they believe before the council. Well, the, the content of the faith doesn't change. Nobody's got authority to say, hey, we don't believe this anymore. If something was true yesterday, it means it's true today, and it'll be true tomorrow. Okay, these, these, these things don't change. What does change is our grasp of them. <laughs> Unfortunately, we've, got, we, we, we've had this collective amnesia of what it means to be a Catholic. And the most basic things, then, are, are considered either controversial or high theology. And it's none of that. It's basic. They're still basic things. You know, Benedict, the, the, the Benedict, when he came to uh, the United States, I think it was, was it 2007, um, he complained. He said, he, and he didn't even mention how the purgatory, he said, very few people talk about heaven. Very few priests and, 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 and bishops preach about heaven. I mean, if that's the goal of all of this, and we're not we're not constantly reminding ourselves of it, where are we going? What are yeah. we doing? And he wasn't even bringing up hell or purgatory. I mean, the only time you ever hear about heaven is at a funeral when the person is basically unofficially canonized. Kind of like they they right. they. We yeah, forget about we forget about that cumbersome congregation of saints process of beatification and canonization. We just kind of go go to it there, and you know what what an injustice to those people who've died. I mean, uh, when I die, I hope everybody remembers every stupid thing I've ever done, so they pray for my poor soul and not not canonize me and say, yeah, he's in heaven. I, I, no, I'm not. I'm going to be in purgatory. I hope, and yeah. I'll need your prayers. Yeah. So it's an injustice to, to the faithful departed to just say, oh, they're in a better place now. No, go ahead. So when we hear this, every, if everybody's in heaven and there's nothing to pray for, well, of course we're going to have a dumbed-down faith. Right. And that's where we're at. And I, I mean, and you, it's... it's... And, it, and it leads to indifferentism. Right. And it, 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 words, it gives... Well, there's no reason for salvation. why... Exactly. We don't need a savior. Right. We become we become Pelagians. We save ourselves through our good works. Well, also the Council of Trent uh, makes a distinction between good works and meritorious work. We can't good one good work. If I'm not in a state of grace, one good work or a million good works are not going to help me get to heaven. True. On the, on the other hand, if I am in a state of grace, if I am in a state of grace, but I don't have a supernatural motivation for my good work, I'm still going to heaven, but those good works won't count as meritorious. For a work to be meritorious, in other words, to have an effect on my eternal soul, a positive effect, obviously, um, in heaven, I have to be in a state of grace, 
I also have to have a supernatural motivation. I do this out of love for Christ. I do it for vocations. I do this in reparation for my sins. In other words, we need both of those things, the objective state to be in a state of grace and the subjective intention. That makes it meritorious. And that then will, will be revealed in eternity. And that, that speaks loudly to a lot of the, the current focus so much on just, you know, social justice and doing service. All great. But the, the most yeah. supernatural motivation is never, ever mentioned. And so it, it just turns into being a nice person, you know, which is, now, as you're saying, is, is uh, salvationally pointless. Which is, that's, uh, that's a real eye opener as well. So, uh, all right, well, this has been the whiz-bang first segment here. I, I, uh, we're going to have to take a, a quick break, but uh, wow, there's a, a, so much here. Um, so do please uh, stay with us, folks, on Men of Christ Radio, uh, uh, talking with Father Cliff. And uh, we wanted to mention that this is program is brought to you by Catholic Financial Life. So our thanks to them for making all of this possible. And uh, to our friends at WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio for uh, allowing us on the air. So thank you all, and stick around. We'll be back with Father Cliff right after these messages. The Holy Family Catholic Bookstore is blessed with the opportunity to participate with WSFI Catholic Radio in the new evangelization. Holy Family is your local resource for books, CDs, and DVDs from Catholic Answers, Ignatius Press, and all of the other fine publishers featured on Catholic Radio. Holy Family also has the area's largest selection of baptism, communion, and confirmation gifts. Holy Family Catholic Bookstore is located at 9249 Old Green Bay Road, Pleasant Prairie, Wisconsin. More information is available on Facebook. Hello, I'm Father James Kubicki, the U.S. Director of the Apostleship of Prayer, and I ask you to support Catholic Radio in your area because Catholic Radio is the way that we can get the word out today. It's Catholic evangelization at its best, and I've heard conversion stories all over the place because of people who have tuned in as they're driving or in their homes, listening to Catholic Radio by accident, and the Lord touching their hearts through the message they heard. WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio is committed to bringing quality Catholic programs to our local community. We only can do that with your financial support. Take a moment now to donate online at wsfiradio.org or mail your tax-deductible donation to WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. That's WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. Donations of any amount are greatly appreciated. Want an example of a false sense of security? How about relying on the life insurance you get through work to pay for all of your final expenses? Do you have plans to retire someday? Or do you plan on working for that company for the rest of your life? The fact is, you may lose your life insurance when you leave a company. I'm Matt Tomlinson from Catholic Financial Life, and I invite you to share your hopes and dreams with me. To discuss your options for protecting your family, call me at 847-548-MAT. That's 847-548-6288. Products and services not available in all states. We're back on Men of Christ Radio on WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio. My name is Brian Farley, and today we're talking to Father Cliff Irma Tinger about uh, the realities of hell, Satan, demons, sin, uh, happy stuff. But again, this is this is really critical. And if you've heard the first segment, um, wow, there's just there's a ton there. My head's going to explode, but uh, hopefully after the program. But there's there's so much here, and as I vexed to Father. You know, we don't hear about this in church anymore. Uh, even he was talking about how there's been some, shall we say, poor catechesis of the last few decades. But the the, the problem with this is it really puts us at risk spiritually because there are these uh, evil beings out there, these demons out there. And so, Father, I guess one question is, what do they see in us? I mean, why do they care? Why why are demons interested in, in dealing with us one way or the other? Because we are made according to the image and likeness of God. And since they are um, angels, they're fallen angels, they were created good. First of all, we have to understand that. They were created good. And their fall was immediate. Their fall, they weren't hanging around heaven 
and then just kind of decided, well, I don't like this anymore. No, they didn't see the face of God. If you see the face of God, you can't reject him. He's so beautiful. He's so loving. He's so holy. He's so pure that you are immediately attracted to him if you are holy, loving, and pure. So that's why with one venial sin on our soul, we can't go into heaven. We have to go to purgatory. Well, our test is our whole life long. That's, this is our testing ground. The angels are pure spirits. They don't reproduce. They don't grow up. You know, there aren't embryo angels, right? And their wings get a little bigger, and then they have teenage drama, and then they have a midlife crisis. No, they, when they were created, they were created complete. Complete, in not only um, in their will, I'm sorry, in their intellect, but what does that mean? They were complete in knowing who they were, what their role was, and their, their, their personal mission, and also many of them had a particular role to play in the order of the incarnation and salvation history. So everything was revealed to them that they needed to know to fulfill their, mom, their, their mission in the moment of their existence. That was their test. Do you accept, you know, it's kind of like the mission possible. Do you accept this mission or not? Yeah. If, they, if they did... Remember, they were, they were created good. If they did accept it, um, if you, I won't go into it now, but you re- read the, um, the Chris, Christological hymn at the beginning of Colossians. It was through the merits of the blood of Christ, which hadn't been shed yet, but they transcend time and space. It was through the merits of the blood of Christ that the, the angels who went to heaven and received the beatific vision, it was through the merits of the blood of Christ that they were able to make that choice. It was through God's grace. Those who spurned the grace, spurned their mission, and were cast down to hell, how many of them was it? Well, in Revelation 12, it looks like it was a third of them. Yeah. How many, how many, how many, exi- how many, are, how many were there? It wasn't just Satan. Imagine, there are nine choirs of angels, and the, 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 the choirs get larger as they go up. The smallest choir are the, the angels. They're called just angels, and that's from that's the group from which we get the the guardian angels. Right. Okay. And then one third of each each of those nine choirs fell away. So just think about how many people have existed, do exist, will exist. Each one gets one non-recyclable guardian angel, and those are from the smallest choir. So you've got this huge amount of angels that are in heaven, and this huge amount of demons that are in hell, and they don't sleep. The ones in heaven are praising God's name, adoring Him, some of them involved in our lives, and the demons, they, they their, their, their hierarchy is respected in hell. And they're, since they cannot harm God, they try and harm his image. And it was, it was precisely, this is what some of the church fathers say, it was precisely this knowledge of the incarnation that, that was so repulsive to them. God, who is infinitely above the highest angel will become, he's going to jump all the way below all of the angels and be born a baby who needs his diapers changed, who's going to sweat, he's going to work, he's going to suffer and die to save man. And this was all revealed to them. And this was so repulsive, the notion that, and he's still going to be God and I have to worship him. And not only that, he's going to be born of a woman who is not divine and she's going to be above me. Yeah, <laughs> she's the queen of angels. So one third of them re- re- rebelled, and they can't harm our Lord, so to say. They can't. They can't do damage to the Blessed Trinity. So they they pick on the ones made according to the likeness. The ones who are also the recipients of mercy. They don't. Understand. Thomas Aquinas tells us that that demons are deprived of the understanding of the economy of grace. 
they don't understand how this mercy thing works. And if you read, you know, I'm sure you've seen it. You said it's your favorite book in the truth. It matters how they don't understand humility or sacrifice. You know, he's telling his, his nephew to make sure that when he, when he does pray, if you can't get him to stop praying, at least get him to pray in a comfortable position. So it's kind of sensual and, and he's more easily, you know, lulled into sleep or distraction or whatever. So, um, there's, they have this hatred for us because we're made according to the image and likeness of God. We can't lose the image, but we can lose the likeness. The image is our, our soul, rational, uh, intellect, our free will, but the likeness, that's the life of grace. So they're going to work on destroying the life of grace. Oh, okay. That's, again, much to think about there. That's, uh... Fascinating. Um, with the uh, so, in their desire to manipulate us, uh, are, are there patterns or, or ways that they they'll typically do this that we can be aware of? Sure. Um, when if we are not in in the life of grace, they're going to appeal to our sentiments, our feelings. They're going to try and keep us comfortably numb. They're not going to want to appeal too much to our intellect, except with the this kind of bumper sticker slogan mentality. You know, we see that. You know, my body belongs to me, and all all of these yeah. things that are lies. So that's about as intellectual as they get. They don't want to appeal to the intellect too much. Why? Because the intellect is an ordered faculty. It's ordered towards the truth. You you start messing with that too much. And people start recognizing, well, well, this isn't right. And then, then, then the demons get nervous. So if we're not, so how they work on us is going to be de- determined by our state. In a certain sense, we determine how they work on us. They, know our, they, they don't know our thoughts. They do know our memories, though. They have access to those things that we've seen and heard, and they will leverage those things against us. They can cobble up... Uh, images, they can remind us of things. This is the importance also of making sure that <laughs> you don't see bad stuff or don't hear bad stuff, right? Because we're giving, not only is it undignified, not, as, not only is it below my vocation to holiness, but I'm also giving the enemy weapons to beat me up with. Yeah. So, um, if I, on the other hand, <laughs> if they find that working on our feelings, keeping us kind of in this false euphoria, keeping us uh, numb and feeling good. Notice, notice there's, there's, a, there's a predominance of feeling there before we enter into the life of grace. If we do have a conversion, we come back to confession, then, says St. Ignatius of Loyola, they start to work on our intellect because our will now has made a choice. I've made a choice for Christ. And my, my will is my will. No demon, no angel, not even God himself is going to force me. So what, what recourse does the demon have? Now he's going to appeal to my, my intellect. Who do you think you are? You, okay, you just went to confession. You think you can go to heaven? You think you're really going to be good? You know yourself. I know you. And they start trying to get us discouraged. And they bring up all sorts of past stuff, but outside of the context of mercy. And so they, they come to us with something that's true, but it's not the whole truth. And so they're trying to get us discouraged, trying to get us to second-guess God, second-guess ourselves, second-guess this whole life of grace thing. So that's, those, in very general terms, that's how, they, how they're working on us, in a certain sense, is determined by our own spiritual state. This is, um, uh, you know... Distressingly, I hope I'm not the only one, but distressingly familiar what you're what you're describing here. Just sort of uh, <laughs> the strength of sentiments and emotions and negative thinking and, and that kind of uh, thing. And it's it also gets confused in so much pop culture stuff. Um, but to understand the, the the source of it and the the logic behind this uh, is very very clarifying. Um, and again, as you say, the real battle is in the ordinary. So. I, I, I know in, in other things um, that I've, I've read um, about this, there's kind of levels of manipulation or degrees of, you know, demonic influence in a person's life, um, sure. start, starting with temptation and then 
What are some of those? Temptation is the ordinary means. That's the ordinary means, and that's what most interests him. Then there's the extraordinary means of diabolical intervention, and that's infestation. That's when there is a presence and activity of demons in a building, in a region, in an animal, in an object. That's called infestation. When the demon has an extraordinary influence on my intellect, on my psychology, that's called a diabolical obsession. What I found is um, most people with a porn addiction have a diabolical obsession. And uh, okay. the way out of that is not only through their, their own sacramental life, but also they have to dedicate um, serious time every day to meditation, to mental prayer, because they've allowed the evil one an undue access to their mind. He's, he, he's weaseled his way, way in there through all of those horrible images that they've seen, and he's appropriated that. That's why so many of them have a hard time relating with people in a normal way, because they sexualize everybody, and they, they hate it. They end up hating it. They end up hating themselves. They want out, but they can't. If they go to confession, and if they dedicate time to mental prayer, the people that I've helped, I've seen, you know, after a month of dedication to serious mental prayer and mass and confession and using their, obviously, their their will under the action of grace, after a month, they're free to choose to be men of prayer or men of porn. So that's the, the obsession. When, when, he has, when the devil has an obsession. Extraordinary influence on the psychology. And there's oppression. Think of Job as the, as a, an extreme example, where one's health, possessions, everything around him is just uh, being afflicted by the evil one. And then possession, where the devil is in the body. Now, notice he's in the body. He's not in the soul. Only the Blessed Trinity can enter the soul. And that happens in baptism. We do an auto exorcism of the Blessed Trinity when we commit one mortal sin, and he's gone. And as a gentleman, he steps back. He says, you know, you, you can't have God and sin in the same place. So if we make that choice, then God steps back. So those, those, are, those are the four extraordinary interventions of the devil. And each one of them has an entire spectrum, a very broad spectrum of manifestation. And the church can deal with all of that. But it's important to understand that what, what a priest or an exorcist, what the church does, is not magic. The, the person afflicted has to do about 90, 95% of the work. And if he's not willing to do it, then, you know, one exorcism, a thousand exorcisms aren't going to help. Not so there. there has to be there has to be a dedication to the life of grace. What are the three means of of of, of salvation? Life of grace through the sacraments, life of prayer, and life of virtue. All three of those things have to be exercised in a radical way. Then the prayers of the church are effective. But in, in a state of certainly of possession, I would think. I mean. Are, do they even have the will to begin that process at all? Or, or is sure, it with, sure. Okay. Sure. Most, most people that are possessed don't know they're possessed. And what happens is there's, there's a pattern. Metanoia brings about manifestation. When a person who has been up to some wacky stuff, for example, I'll just tell you, last, uh, I was preaching at a mass in... Um, Philadelphia last Friday night and people were asking for blessings and I, I had this St. Benedict cross and I just put it on a woman's head and she says oh that's hot and so I said some silent prayers he goes oh, you know that's really burning me <laughs> and she opened her eyes and her eyes were black <laughs> and I said what kind of wacky stuff have you been up to and she goes well I used to be a psychic but uh, I went to confession and so that's all fine I said well you, your relationship with God is fine, and the devil is saying your relationship with me is fine too. Okay, so you got to see the local exorcist here, and I'll help you out. Whoa. So, okay. there's an example of somebody who brought it upon herself. Didn't know she thought she was fine. She was even going to she was going to mass and confession, but didn't know she was possessed until somebody told her. So. so <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> so these people can go to the sacraments. Often there's a there's a reaction. Not always. Something 
something like in that woman's case, obviously she was confessing and going to, to me. I don't know her. I don't know anything more about her other than what she told me. But, you know, the fact is that, uh, you know, she was trying to live a sacramental life and indeed doing so and nonetheless possessed. So why? 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 Because God is in the soul. The devil is in the soul. You don't have two things in the same place, okay? God is in the soul. The devil is in her body. Whatever the devil does is an imitation of what our Lord does, but in a superficial, cheap way. <laughs> so in the possession, then, is a mockery of the divine indwelling, a mockery of the life of grace. It's also a mockery of the incarnation, which was also the cause for the fall of Satan and, and rebel angels. <sighs> So, all right, well, I have to ask more about this because now we're <laughs> literally getting chills uh, in talking to you here, um, which you probably hear a lot. But uh, anyway, uh, okay, well, let's take a quick break. Seems very superficial right. and, and silly at this point, but uh, <laughs> I have to do a quick break um, on Men of Christ Radio, and uh, we will be back with uh, Father Cliff talking about uh demons in hell and possession uh so please stick with us there's much more to go um on men of christ radio right after this Regnum Christi offers you to come away from the busyness of life for a Catholic women's silent retreat based on the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola. Deepen your knowledge and love of Jesus Christ and discover the voice of God who longs to speak to your heart. What better way to do this than amid the peaceful and beautiful surroundings of the Marytown Retreat Center and National Shrine of St. Maximilian Colby. The retreat runs from November 10th through 12th. Please call Susan at 314-607-8348 for more information. What kind of shape is your soul in? I'm inviting you to consider making a weekend of spiritual exercise. We're talking a retreat with the Lord, prayer, meditation, quiet, and beautiful Barrington at the Bellarmine Jesuit Retreat House. Come check out the possibilities at JesuitRetreat.org. That's J-E-S-U-I-T Retreat.org. Come to the quiet so the quiet can come to you. about um, many serious and frightening uh, topics here. Demonic uh, temptation, oppression, possession, infestation. Father, you mentioned before, if I heard you correctly, uh, metanoia brings about manifestations. So metanoia, I believe, is repentance. And, and right. So if if somebody can be possessed and not even know it, um, you mentioned one example. What are in somebody who's actually participating in the sacraments? Even how how do people? determine their status in this in this kind of situation well uh, being possessed is the worst thing that could happen to you missing mass is infinitely worse on sunday is inf- or you know <laughs> holy day obligation that's infinitely worse than being possessed you got to keep a perspective here okay all right <laughs> possessed person who's in the state of grace dies soul goes to purgatory or heaven wherever it's supposed to go i mean uh, really okay of course. Yeah, I mean, the devil can't, doesn't enter your soul. God enters your soul. If, you're, if the Blessed Trinity is in your soul through grace, you're going to heaven. So you would just continue in the sacramental life and praying and... and you better. <laughs> you, absolutely. Right. Right. So interesting. Okay. I always, I guess I never even really thought about it. I assume you're possessed or you're in some relationship with the devil. Even if you don't know it, then that's, you're, you're, you're damned. No, but, no, no. Um, He's in a no, 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 no. 
he, he wants to, remember what I said before. What's his goal? His goal is for you to sin. It's not to possess. Right. Not to oppress. It's not to obsess. His goal is for you to sin. If you live in a life of grace, you're going to heaven. Wow. So, you know, these are, these are little perks for him. It's not his goal. Because it's just a little Pyrrhic victory for him. Yeah. You know, it doesn't really, it doesn't, uh, there's no lasting fruit there. What, what he does, what he, um, he, what he does like to do is inflict suffering on these people, and they're suffering. So that, that's his immediate goal. But also, in those extreme situations, he does have a certain influence on their, on, on a lot of interior aspects, not on the will, but yes, on the memory, and... <clears throat> You know, so therefore the temptations there are going to probably be, be, be a lot more intense. Hmm. So it's All a means. Right. Yeah, I, that's that's sort of a, a, a game-changing notion there, I, I, but a, a, an important one. And it just, again, speaks to the absolute intense necessity and power of... Uh, getting into and staying in a state of grace and, and the sacraments and growing in holiness because it's, uh, it's, it's both these not, Yeah, These are not comparable things. It's important to remember that. You know, back to the, <laughs> well, I'm not an ex-murderer. Well, fine. Heaven is not just for people who didn't, you know, haven't killed people to access, right? It's, right, right. It's about a relationship. <laughs> So we've got to keep a perspective here, but also recognize that these means that the church gives us are effective. The church, one more time on that. I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't hear you clearly. The means that, that the church, the means that the church gives us are effective. Right. And and so the devil's going to try and keep us away from one, two, or three of them. Right? Virtue, prayer, and sacraments. What about prayer? St. John of the Cross tells us that Satan is going to exert a lot more energy in trying to distract a prayerful person from his or her prayer than he would in getting some confirmed sinner to do horrible crimes. Oh. Why? Because when a person is holy, when a person is living a, a radical life of grace, prayer, and virtue, he presents such a threat to Satan and his minions that he, he, if he, and he can't get this person to do sins, he can't get this person to separate, he's going to at least try to weaken the prayer life. And, so, uh, yeah. so what? We keep our eyes on Christ. The fact that he's working should just keep us on guard. It's not a reason to be afraid. He's afraid of you. If you're in a state of grace, he's afraid of you. He doesn't want you to know it. That's important to understand. Fear has no place in all of this. No place. Totally. What does St. John say in his first letter, chapter 4, verse 19? True love casts out all fear. But none of this stuff ought to be frightening for somebody who's madly in love with Christ. And that's really important and powerful to, to consider in all of this, yeah. We keep our eyes on Christ. We keep our eyes on Christ. We recognize that there's an enemy at work. We recognize how he works on us. Each one of us, he's going to work, and we've all given him plenty of stuff with which to attack us. Fine. You have to be awake to that. But awake. I'm not, not afraid. Very good. Okay. Um, I'm taking notes as we do this, so I'm slow on the uptake here, but this is really such valuable information. Um, all right, well, Father, I, I guess I have to ask, you know, um, in terms of, like, society today, many of us, myself included, society's going to hell, but really, it's more like, I, I would say society's leading us to hell through so many influences. Uh, are there... I don't know, clear examples. I mean, I could make up a few. I'm sure we all could, but uh, of, of Satan, the demons working through things we're exposed to all the time, pop culture, movies, TV, music, uh, news, politics. Even, even. Anything, anything that leads us to one of the capital sins, <laughs> he's all in. Yeah. Anything. And so uh, 
we have to if we're if we're living with our eyes on Christ, if our heart and our affections are rooted in Him, we're going to be awake to those things that offend Him, images and music. Beauty is an objective thing. Everybody says, well, not everybody. A lot of people say beauty is in the eye of the beholder. That's not true. Beauty is an objective thing. Aristotle tells us clearly that beauty is a, converg- a convergence of integrity, of intelligibility, and of proportion. So something that, is, what, is, what is ugly then? Ugliness then is there's something good that's missing. There's a disproportion. And that's why there's a, there is a, an objective difference between the beauty of Gregorian chant, the beauty of some classical music, and a lot of the modern music. And all of that is uh, symptomatic of a worldview, of a vision of God, and of one's own spiritual state. Ultimately, artists are going to produce things that reflect their own interior. And that then explains the ugliness of a lot lot of modern music and the disturbing images that, that were, you know, were fed with, with Hollywood and advertising and sports. Yeah, when, that... when people are separated from our Lord. They don't see themselves, the world, or others clearly. That's why John Paul II tells us in his first encyclical, Redemptor Ominis, that Christ reveals man to man. In other words, in Jesus Christ, we understand who we are, what we're called to be. We understand ourselves finally. Finally, we know who we are in him. And outside of him, we don't. We don't have a clear vision. And so that's where all this distortion comes from. And then it's often, yeah, uh, packaged and magnified and broadcast and and, and, uh, um, consumed by a public that has no clue about any of this, you know, many of right. we Catholics as well. And and so that's what's so uh, kind of, I guess, nauseating to me in a lot of ways is that it's it's just being, we're being carried away and, and really don't even realize it. And yep. our I don't, I don't, uh, I don't miss the news. <laughs> I don't watch it. I don't read it. It's, uh, and I don't miss it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we, I think most of us, we have plenty to deal with, plenty of problems that we have to deal with, many of which we can resolve with the help of God's grace. All right. But then you know, we, when we allow ourselves to be bombarded, by all sorts of sounds and images that are not pleasing to our Lord, you know, we have to ask ourselves, what's, what's really important to me? What role does he have? I can say I'm a Catholic, but I have to allow him to inform my mind and my heart and not let it be on the, you know, strings of puppet masters. So, you know, I, without even finding dramatic examples of the diabolic, I think most important, we have to be concerned about the internal workings. <laughs> a thought that leads to an action often leads to a rep- repetition of action, and from repetition comes habit. And that habit then is going to be defining. Could be virtue, could be vice. Yeah. Internal you know, when, 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 you, when the Congregation for Saints is looking at a candidate for canonization, they're going to look at the whole life. But above all, they're going to spend a lot of the time, most of the time on the last 10 years of the life of that saint. Why? Because there's a snowball effect in that person's uh, virtue. When you look at the life of Padre Pio, St. Faustina, they weren't saints because of their visions, because of the locutions, stigmata, levitations, and things of that nature. That's all extraordinary stuff, and that's not where holiness resides. They were canonized because of their heroic virtue. That's, that's where our fight is, in the ordinary. And that's why they were canonized. Benedict XIV 
um, the the great bishop when before he was a bishop and I'm sorry before he was pope while he was uh, still Cardinal Lamberti back in the 16 1700s he 1700s he uh, modernized the canonization process. And he recognized, too, that some of these saints who had visions, mystical visions, some of them were, were clearly from God, some were from their psychology. Yeah. Said, but that's not, we don't, we don't canonize them because of their visions, and we don't not, if they, we don't not canonize them because not all the visions were, were from God. Said so we canonize them because of the heroic virtue. He's pointing to St. Francis of Rome, for example, a great, great mystic. Some of her, some of her reasons were from God. Some were had a part of her own psychology at work there. It's not a problem. So that's not that's not the that's not the issue here. The issue is she was a saint. She lived like a saint. She was she had a reputation for of of sanctity, and she lived heroic virtue virtue in adversity. That's that's a divine work, but not without human cooperation. And that's where holiness resides. And that's the battle, the, the the battle in the ordinary, right there. Exactly, and that's why you know when, when we look at the lives of the saints, sometimes we can say, "Oh, it's kind of discouraging because I haven't had visions. I haven't." No, that's that's, that's good. Good. Don't. <laughs> we should never long for the extraordinary. Okay, because most of them are not from God. Most of the extraordinary stuff that people think is mystical, visions, locutions, and all that, most of that is not from God. So, and that's that's why John of the Cross tells us when you, you know, next time you have a vision, just ignore it, okay? (laughs) Just ignore it. It's not important. That's not going to make you a saint. Well, okay, well, that's a a, a powerfully refocusing... notion right there, uh, or truth, uh, to keep in mind. And again, the battle is in the ordinary. So um, we are obviously, clearly, we're all in spiritual warfare. We don't have an option to not be in spiritual warfare. I don't think most human beings realize this, but we are. So you've you've touched on pretty much all of it throughout this conversation, but kind of in in a synopsis, what are things we should be doing to, to assess our situation and to protect ourselves and our families and to, and to advance in holiness uh, throughout well, all this. Without reiterating the three basic <laughs> essential means of salvation, I think we have to re- re- rediscover the natural-slash-supernatural structure that our Lord has ordained, which is the family. And the family has a man at the head who's married to his <laughs> to the mother of his children. <laughs> <laughs> and when we when we obey God's law, beautiful things happen. Yeah. Right? Like babies, for example. Beautiful things happen. Right. And men have to be men. You know, there's I remember years ago reading this article it was <laughs> The author had interviewed a bunch of uh, college girls, and they said, you know, these guys can't decide if they're wimps or thugs. We just want gentlemen. Yes. And, you know, men have to be men. And But that also means the spiritual leaders of the house. If a man is the king of his castle, he's also the priest in his domestic church, and he's got to understand that and live up to it. So he has to be the spiritual leader. That's not something you delegate to your wife or grandma. Right? So this is this is that's the man's job. And so the kids have to see that. Why? Because boys will understand what it means to be a man, and girls will understand that's the kind of guy I'm supposed to marry. Right. But part of being a provider and protector, you know, I'm, all the guys listen to this, you know, they, they they lock the doors, they close the windows of their house, you know, they, they secure the perimeter before they call it a day and go to bed. You know, but the enemy's entering through the screens, right? Through all of these bad images on their TV, on their phones, on their kids' um, computers. There's a real battle there, and they have to be awake and take action. Absolutely. All right. Well, this is, I mean, we could go on and on here. This is huge. And um, I, I would encourage uh, everyone to take a look at your, your, your book, The Devil's Role in the Spiritual Life. Um, that just came out in July. Is that what that came out? Yes, it did. All right. Yeah, so, a piece uh, of uh, Lady of Mount Carmel. Oh, excellent. Beautiful. 
Um, all right, and uh, Father, I believe we're just up, about out of time here, so I'm wondering if um, you would be so kind as to uh, give us a, uh, a final blessing um, with all this, and, and I, this has been a fascinating conversation and really eye-opening on so many levels, so I'm going to have to uh, re-listen myself for sure because uh, this, <laughs> this is powerful and important stuff. So with all that, though, um, would you be so kind as to give us a final blessing? Sure. May the blessing of our Lord God Almighty descend upon you and remain with you forever through the intercession of Our Lady of Fatima and St. Michael the Archangel in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. God bless you, Brian. Thanks All for having right. me. Father, absolutely. Thank you. And uh, thank you again. You're going to be our speaker at Men of Christ on March 10th, 2018. Got to get that plug in there as well. And uh, <laughs> I'm really looking forward to it. So thanks so much, Father. And uh, thanks to everyone who's been listening. Uh, we greatly appreciate your your uh, your listenership. So with that, uh, we'll conclude this episode of Men of Christ Radio on WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio. Thanks to Catholic Financial Life for being our sponsor. Bye-bye, everybody.